Anyway, happy 4th of July, everybody. Happy 4th of July weekend. We're going to have our own fireworks show today. It's all going to be good. So I hope you're doing well. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Shay Ryanga. I'm blessed to be one of the pastors here. And I've missed you. So gone a week and a half, but it covered two weekends. Got to spend some time with family in North Georgia where my brother lives. My folks went with us and we got to have some fun time chasing toddlers and catching some fish. But I am thrilled to be back with you. So as, as we get started and focus on what we're going to be talking about this month, I've got some surprises this week. What I want to do for us this month is I actually want to take a break from actually doing a sermon series in the well just for the month of July. We're going to start back in August and the whole church is going to do Jonah together, but it's awesome. Pastor Mike's in the house in the sanctuary this month and he's got a special sermon series he's doing. So I was like, what, what do I want to do? I don't know. I've, I've always wanted to do Field of Dreams with pairing it with the Gospel of John. So someday in the future, if, you, if that sounds interesting to you, just make me do that. Um, but, but I, I've always wanted to do this because there's a tendency, um, with preachers and pastors, we all can play favorites in our lives to a certain extent and there's favorite topics and favorite passages. And sometimes, not all the time, sermon series reflect that. And so there's this thing called the lectionary. And if you don't know what the lectionary is, it's just a reading guide. So it's been around for like ages. I don't know when it, was created, but it was created by a lot of higher, more traditional Protestant denominations in the Catholic Church that basically is just a reading guide for Scripture. And so if you stay and you live in the lectionary and you're part of a church that does this, so think Lutheran Church, Catholic Church, Anglican Church, some very traditional United Methodist churches, um, some churches read all four readings a weekend. There's four readings, there's an Old Testament passage, a psalm, an epistle from the New Testament, and a gospel passage. Most churches that live into the lectionary, which is based on the life of Christ, going through all the scripture, um, just do one or two. So I'm just going to pick one and surprise you each week through the month of July. And that's going to be the foundation of what we explore and talk about. And my, my prayer is that I just want us to soak up as much of God's word as we can and what God has, has to say to us through some very, very powerful passages in scripture and try to get out of the way of God's word to the best of my ability, if that's okay. And so so we're, with that being said, we're going to be in 2 Kings today. If you have your Bibles or if you want to follow along in the blue Bible in front of you, it'll also be on the screens. We're going to go through a story in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. So let's get started with this. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. So touch somebody, you know, look at somebody next to you and say, no buts. No buts, no buts. So get the giggles over with. It's B-U-T-S, not B-U-T-T-S. That's the title, that's the theme of what I want to talk about this morning. No buts. This, <clears throat> and I know we've heard our parents say this. Oftentimes, we've heard our parents say growing up, you know, I, I need you to do, I want you to do something for me. And as kids, I mean, I know many of you have never disobeyed your parents and you've, you've always been compliant. But, but mom, but... <laughs> I don't want to, but, but, and, 
And in, in the house I grew up in, that was called talking back. And I don't know if it's commonplace now to talk back to your parents, but I grew up in a household where honor your father and mother meant you don't talk back to mom and dad. That, that I was blessed and had the good and God's good grace to live in the house and, and to have so, so many privileges and whatnot that if I needed to go mow the fields or had to run an errand to the bank or, or, or do some chores, this and that, take care of the animals, there were no buts. There were no, that wasn't an appropriate response. And yet I think too often, maybe that's become an appropriate response. Often in response to what we're asked to do, we, we come up with excuses. We, we say, but I, I don't think I can do that. I don't, I, I've got these other, other things. And sometimes, sometimes we come up with excuses and reasons for not doing the things we know we ought to do. Like even when it comes to our dreams and our callings, like, I, but I'm not strong enough. You know, I'm not qualified. I don't have the education. I don't have the, I don't look the part, right? We, we, we come up with all kinds of reasons, I think, to not do some of the things we know that we ought to do. And it seems to me that pride and fear are the main drivers in, in, that keep us from living into the holy responsibility that God gives us in our lives. We see how God chooses Israel before all nations. We've seen this time and again that's for, for the, in the providence of God, right? We know through scripture that God blesses the righteous and the unrighteous by rain and sunshine and all these things. But God chooses Israel before all other people to be the keepers of his promise and to bring his good news into the world. Before everybody else, they, they, are, they are special to a certain extent in the history of our, as we understand the salvation and how it unfolds. And we've seen the faithfulness of Father Abraham and we've also seen time and time again all throughout the Old Testament how Israel kind of says, but, and, and they come up with excuses, and, and they don't live into to the word and the call that God has placed upon their lives. And yet God doesn't force his hand. God asks for cooperation. He wants a coalition of the willing. But we see Israel kind of look around and say, but, but, but God, like they, my neighbor has a king and, and we, we, we want a king. So we kind of understand a little more what we're supposed to do. But, but God, they, they have images of the God that they worship. Well, we can't see you. But God, but God, I, they, they don't have as many rules as we have. They don't have as many laws and as many commandments to, to follow. God, I know, you, I know you said give to everyone. I know you said give to everyone, but God, you, you gotta understand, like, but there, there's people who abuse our generosity. So I can't just give, I just can't give to anybody. I, I know you said, Lord, resist the devil and he'll flee. But, but we live in a culture that doesn't really believe he exists, so we don't really have to resist anything. God, I, I, know, I know your word says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for such as these belong the kingdom of God. But God, our world is so broken. Our world is so fallen. And there's so, the situations in some families are so bad that we're, we're, we're creating ways to keep children from coming into this world. Lord, have mercy. But, 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 there are times when Israel fails to be obedient time and again. And so God has to find, find people who are willing. God 
chooses to work through other people. And here we see Naaman. At the beginning of the story, God is giving the enemy of Israel success. The Arameans, the Arameans, the king of Aram and the Arameans are enemies of Israel. The Lord has given Naaman victory according to Scripture. When we cease to be who God has elected us to be, he'll begin to work through other folks. He wants a coalition of the willing. When we rise in our pride to the point that it's beneath us now to, to be responsible and to do certain tax, tasks and to serve and to help other people, God will raise up in our midst the people that we perceive are our enemy, but who have stayed humble, who have stayed listening, who have stayed willing. And scripture says God brings down, he cuts down the proud. He cuts down the proud. And so if we're standing in our accomplishments and all the success, we have, to, we have to watch. We have to watch in the way in which it puffs us up and makes us think of ourselves as being above others. Moses. Moses has some tough words, like part of some of Moses' last words to Israel before he gets to hand off leadership are deliberate words about Israel and the way in which they've constantly rebelled and been unfaithful to God. Moses says this towards the end of Deuteronomy. He says, they, Israel, they abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their savior. They made him jealous. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods, which are not God. Gods they had not known. Gods they recently appeared. Gods your ancestors did not fear. You deserted, he's talking to Israel. He, you deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. In the midst of this deliberate disobedience, God says, okay, okay. And Naaman shows us that God will continue to work out his good and beautiful will when his chosen people are unfaithful. You might recall what Jesus says to a Roman centurion. And it's hard for us to grasp these words that Jesus says to a Roman who, it's, it's tough for us, I think, because of how far back in history this goes. Like we kind of know Jews don't like the Romans in the first century. If, if we've been in church, we kind of know that. But it's hard for us to feel the weight in the sting of, of some of that in what Jesus says and, and what he says. And, and the only, I don't know the historical equivalent. Imagine if we, could, if we could move Jesus forward in time and he wasn't Jewish and he wasn't in Israel, but he was, he was from one of the 13 colonies. And you think of the Revolutionary War period. Maybe, maybe that helps us grasp the weight of what he's saying here. Like he's, he's commending a British soldier maybe in this way. It's hard for us to grasp like what, how, how the people in his midst would hear this. Jesus says this in Luke about a Roman soldier. I tell you, he's telling the people around him, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. 
even in Israel. And this comes after this Roman, sir, Roman centurion expresses humility and reaches out and he asks Jesus to heal an honorable servant of his. So when we fail to be used in the way God wants to use us, God moves on and finds someone who is willing to be used to fulfill God's promise, to fulfill his purpose. And God doesn't play favorites. He does not discriminate. There are no buts. So we're told Naaman's good. He's like really good. He's had a lot of victory. He's had a lot of success. We're, said, we're told he's a valiant soldier. And all of this again is done. All of his success, we're told, is through the power of God. Naaman doesn't know God, but he's being used by God. And the people that do know God aren't being used by God because they've turned their backs on God. Naaman doesn't know God yet, but he's very proud. He's very proud and pride has puffed, his, puffed him up. Despite all of his success in fulfilling the purpose, there is this but, but, but. He has leprosy. He's not satisfied with his station. He's lived a pretty successful life. And this says a lot about how the story is going to play out. And his condition doesn't seem all that bad. So leprosy in the Old Testament isn't what we would call Hansen's disease. We think of leprosy in our modern period and it's, it's, it's pretty rough. It affects the nervous system. It's, it creates these big lumps in the skin and eventually rots the limbs. If you've seen Braveheart... Robert the Bruce, who ends up betraying William Wallace and then coming back at the end. Robert the Bruce's father in Braveheart has leprosy or Hansen's disease. And this isn't that disease. It's more like psoriasis. So it's more like patches of flaky skin. This is the kind of condition that he has. But pride and fear tend to make a big deal out of small things we look at our face and we see a few spots and we think our whole body is broken out. We hear the way in which a supervisor or a manager said something to us and it didn't quite sound right and we can quickly interpret that our job is in jeopardy, or that they don't like us, things of that nature. Or, or we, we believe we've put God first in our life, we've tried to prioritize our life the right way, we've, we've earned our station in life. We deserve to be here in this spot and yet our present reality, our present situation and circumstance isn't what we want. And so we think somehow God isn't listening to us, that God has somehow turned his back toward us. You deserve better. And that's when Naaman believes, like Naaman clearly at this spot believes he deserves better a man of his status, a man of his power, a man of his accomplishment. This, this skin condition is just a blemish on an otherwise pristine life. So let's continue. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. So Naaman's condition obviously isn't bad enough that he was detestable to marry, but it's a fair point and a true point that men and women are not of equal social status at this, at this juncture in this culture. She said, she being the servant girl, said to her mistress, Naaman's wife, if only my master could see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. 
Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. So notice how the kingdom of Aram, he can't even conceive of a healing happening outside of the boundary of the king, of the, of the kingdom, of the royal courts, right? So the conception, there's no conception for power outside of the power of kings. They know of no other kind of power, They're told this prophet in Samaria, go to this prophet in Samaria to be healed. And in their framework, in their worldview, in their experience, they they can't hear that. They don't understand that. To them, power originates from one, one place. It originates in themselves. And the source of many of our, I think, but, 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 but I can't, or, or you think I can, but, but you don't understand. The, the source of so many of our excuses, I think, and so many of our reasons is, is our misplacement of where power resides, where power is found. And when power begins with us, we'll always have an excuse not to follow through. There'll always be a but. There'll always be an excuse. But when power begins with God and we receive it, we'll never have an excuse not to follow through. No buts. For the king of Aram and Naaman, power only begins with them. So if there is power to heal in Israel, there's only one place it can be, and that's the reason he addresses the king of Israel. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. The king of Israel knows this is crazy. He knows and fears God. He knows God only has the power to heal in this way. He's confused and afraid. Like this is a setup to invade you asking me to do this because when, when me, the king of Israel, can't heal you, then it's a setup. It's an impossible request. This is all an attempt to invade, to take more land. And that's, that's how the king of Israel interprets this. The king of Israel interprets this as a hostile request. Why else would he be doing this? He fails to understand that the Arameans have no idea. They have no conception of, of Almighty God. But when Elisha, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. He says, why? Why have you torn your robes? And I think it's hard for us to understand what this means because so, so many of us have quite a pretty big closets. We have several articles of clothing. And for us, we wear black to funerals. And what this tearing of clothes and tearing of robes means is this, is this action that signifies deep grief and sadness. In some cases, even desperation. <laughs> Like there's, there's a great end that's being symbolized and death even that's being symbolized when somebody tears 
their robes and their articles of clothing. And when it isn't a king doing it, it's somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of clothes to begin with. And so it's the sign of an end. It's a sign of great loss. Like, why have you torn your robes? Elijah asks. He says, have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet. Kings aren't the only ones endowed with power. There is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Naaman shows up with this small army for a grand meeting and to try to make sense of all the wealth that he's bringing. I mean, it's hard to kind of do the calculation of what would be the equivalency in our dollars and our cents today as to the kind of wealth that Naaman's bringing. And it's, it's closer to a million dollars in our framework than anything we can try to figure out. So he's bringing all this wealth. He's bringing a small army, these chariots, for this big formal gathering and show. Like picture many, many nations coming together for a gigantic peace treaty. He's, he's expecting this pageantry and the splendor of a formal meeting as he comes. And in verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. So when you know it, Elijah, Elisha doesn't even show up to the meeting. <laughs> he was waiting for the prophet and he got a messenger. He was waiting for the pastor and he got a care chaplain. He was waiting for the CEO and he got a secretary. And what is this? And I want to, he takes, he takes great offense at this. He brought this fortune, right? And an army expecting to be met by the same, but that's not how God does business. And that's not how God trades. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or a king. It doesn't matter your vocation or your position. It doesn't matter how much authority you think you have and what you think you deserve. He gives to the willing and those who say, yes, Lord. The word before all creation is not specially designated to any one special person in one individual in one office. But the word before all creation can be given in faith. Jesus calls his followers. He sends us out to proclaim his good news and to heal. And Jesus says, be careful that you understand, you always understand whose power it is that is inside you. It is Christ within you. Don't, don't boast and that these spirits understand and bow to your authority. Jesus says this. He says this in the gospel of Luke. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written 
in heaven. And Naaman, see, doesn't know any of this. Naaman has other ideas. He's offended. He isn't getting what he deserves. He wants to talk to the manager because he doesn't deserve to be treated this way and to have this kind of service. This is all beneath him. And there's another but. After hearing this from a messenger, we, we read, but Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. He wants something big. He wants a show. He wants people to notice this thing. And he's focusing on all these external realities and appearances, and he wants people to see it. But what God has in mind is something that's private, something that needs to change in his soul on the inside, where people don't need to see. It's between him and God. It can happen in private. And I think many of us get caught up in trying to project a certain image and a certain appearance. We want to make sure externally, at least on the exterior, people are seeing us a certain way when our souls are thirsty and need fresh water. And in his anger, he continues to say, Naaman continues, continues to say, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. And it's hard for us to understand this hard punch that he feels like he's basically being asked to go bathe in toilet water to cure him of his skin disease. This enemy nation in their dirty Jordan River, it's just dirty water and it's an enemy nation. And again, all he's thinking about is externals and how in the world am I supposed to be healed going to wash myself in this dirty water? Thankfully, Naaman has wise servants. And Naaman's servants explain something to him, ask some good questions. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? Shay's paraphrase there isn't to probably ask the question, would you not have done it? But Shay's paraphrase is, you know you would have done it. You know you would have done it if he asked you to do some great thing. You know you would have done it. How much more than when he tells you, wash, wash and be cleansed. So he finally listens and he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. When we're young, there's usually a time in our lives where we really do trust and obey our parents. We really do, I think, at some point in our lives, hopefully for many of us, where we do believe they have our best interest at heart. They love us more than any human being on planet Earth. And hopefully that never changes. But I know for many of us, I, I know for me as a young parent, I don't know how long that window lasts before we start to kind of push back on authority and we start to question our parents and some of us leave and go our own way and it's tough to come back and to develop that trust and that faith again as we grow up. Our fear and our pride get the best of us. We say, but, but, but. 
and more than Naaman's flesh became clean like a young boy. His spirit finally did. And we see this play out through the rest of the story that we won't read today, but we see this play out that his spirit, he was given faith in his obedience and the way he finally humbled himself and probably had to get on his knees and wash himself in dirty water. Are there any excuses you're making in your life to not be healed, to not get help? Are you saying to God, God, I, you know, I know, I know, but, but, but I, I can't, I can't. I don't have, I, I, you see, I don't have the power. And remember the source, remember the source of the power. I think that's where we go off as we misplace the source of the power. That the power is Christ in us. The, the power is the word made flesh who came to save us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's, that's our power. So you can overcome. You can be healed. You can be set free. You can have peace in this life. You can walk away from the darkness, wash and be cleansed, no buts. It's a similar command that we're given today in this word as, as the invitation to come to the table and be forgiven. Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you, no buts no buts. Will you pray with me? Holy God, forgive us for we often know the good we ought to do and we don't do it. And we come up with all kinds of reasons and excuses for not doing it. We lose our focus. We think power resides in us and we're afraid we get proud and we puff ourselves up and we think we're above it all. And so we can't do certain things anymore. Lord, just humble us, please. Remind us that though you are equal to God, that you didn't consider your time on this earth, equality with God is something to be grasped, something to be exploited over us, but instead in your status, that you're above all, you're the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And the, though you have that status, you humbled yourself and became a slave for us. You became a servant. So help us serve. We pray all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And now we remember on the night that Jesus would give himself up for us, that he took bread he gave thanks to God and then he broke the bread and he said to his disciples, take, eat, this is my body given for you. And when the supper was over, he took the cup and he gave thanks to the Father and he said, I want you all to drink of this. Drink of this, all of you, and remember, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Will you please pray with me? Holy God, I ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body of Christ that we may be 
for the world your body, cleansed and redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, Lord, make us one with Christ. Make us one with each other. And make us one in ministry to all the world until that great and glorious day comes where we feast together at your table. We pray all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.